Hello, everyone. Welcome to a brand new episode of So What You Think. I am your host, Nicholas Ledoux. For those of you who don't know, this is a movie podcast show where me and a guest will come on to discuss a movie we've just seen for the very first time, give our immediate reactions to it. Uh, today is uh, another one of those <laughs> different episodes where we're actually talking about TV. Uh, this is the, the finale, the series finale of Barry, uh, which just ended on Sunday night. Uh, the same night as Succession. It was a very overwhelming night. <laughs> uh, if you heard our Succession coverage <laughs> that uh, just came out a couple days ago, we did a very long pod about that, so you should go check that out. Um, but I <laughs> wanted to talk about both, and so I'm doing an extra episode this week. Um, to do this episode, I've brought on my dad. Welcome, dad. Thanks for coming on. Hi, Nick. Thanks for having me. Can't wait to hear the <laughs> Succession episode. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's good. I got Gonzo and Greg on it, so it'll, it'll be fun. Um, but yeah, you're calling in from Jakarta right now. <laughs> so. I am Indonesia, <laughs> so it's 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 10 p.m. where I am, and it's 8 a.m. where you are. I think. Yep. Yeah, there's a there's a 14 hour time difference here, <laughs> so somehow we made this work. Thanks for doing this, because. <laughs> Hopefully I didn't guilt you too much. I don't live in Jakarta. I'm on business trip. Right. Yeah. yeah. For those yeah, who don't know me, my dad does not live in Indonesia normally, but he was just on a trip. And I asked him to be on the pod while he was on his trip. He very graciously accepted. So, so is this your first international guest, call-in guest, or have you done this before? That's a good question. I think this is the first time. I did one with Georgia a few years ago when she was in New York and I was in la so that was a three hour time difference i think that's the most it's ever been though <laughs> 14 hours might take the <laughs> take the kick there <laughs> obviously this conversation is going to be filled with spoilers we're, we're going to jump right into the finale of this of this series <laughs> so that'd be kind of a crazy episode for you to just jump into <laughs> if you hadn't seen the show but barry i think we can both say is a remarkable show and one of the best shows on tv so if you haven't seen it you should definitely check it out it's pretty short it's only four seasons <laughs> eight episodes per season, 30 minutes. Um, so I would definitely check that show out if you haven't seen it. But with that, all that being said, let's let's get into it. Um, and yeah, let's just start right at the top. Like, so what do you think? So what do you think of the finale? Oh, the finale? So I, yeah. I loved it. I thought it was, you know, a lot of shows when they have their finale and there's build up to it, they disappoint. This one did not disappoint me. You know, there was I was, as I was thinking about preparing for this and what I would say about, you know, the things I don't like about the show, there was, you know, just one or two minor things, but everything about it was just very consistent with the theme and the tone of the show. And um, I, was, I was enthralled <laughs> the whole time. I was on the edge of my seat. Yeah. I think it was a very, like, satisfying ending. I mean, this whole season has been so unique as, like, a a turn i guess for a show almost or like this kind of like surrealist turn it drops a lot of like the the tropes and uh what you've come to expect i think from the show and then yeah this finale though it it, it made sure to like tie up all the loose ends uh at least with the primary characters of like noho hank and barry and sally and fuchs and uh Cousineau. i guess like the main the core five characters they they do have each of their own moment which i really appreciated and yeah, I mean, we'll kind of get into it, but I think where all the characters ended up made sense for... And all of those moments were pretty impressive and intense and um, just great to give each of those actors an opportunity to close their characters out in a way and 
not worrying about, oh, you know, will they make a movie of this someday? Will they be another season? They, they're, they're ending it and everyone, the story ends in that way where it gives the actors an opportunity to close out their characters. Right. And that's what like seemed really important to like Bill Hader too, is to like have this complete control and then also just to give the actors in his show that who he seems to really like, like just lots of opportunities to have them have long monologues. Like it's particularly Sally who gets like lots of long monologues, but even in this finale, like giving Noah Hank this like really artful scene, this like Michelangelo style shot of, <laughs> of of him holding the the hand of Cristobal and yeah it was amazing it really was and the acting of it was amazing too and if you think yeah. about someone like Noho Hank the character if I, if I remember when season one he was only supposed to be in a couple of the episodes I think and the actor mm. did such a good job that they decided to keep the character going and it became he became such a critical character to the show yeah that's super interesting because yeah he's he's one of the like the highlights of the entire show. <laughs> like, I guess he's not, he's not like the Barry Sally a plot necessarily, but um, yeah, his like love story with Cristobal is like honestly one of the best love stories I've kind of seen on TV. <laughs> it's, it's, it really it's, is. It, it was, and you never seen anything like it before and it was so well mm-hmm. acted and, and so well written. And you know, it wasn't even in the mind of Bill Hader when he started this, the show that wasn't even on his radar. And then somewhere along the way, he, the show evolves into that, that relationship so pretty impressive yeah but that kind of is a good segue into just talking about bill Hader, um like as an auteur and like the rise of his auteurism in the last couple of years <laughs> um i mean he went from for those who don't know like he not only stars in this show but he he writes this show he has a writer's room but he he's the one that kind of mainly writes it and then he kind of gets feedback from a writer's room um and then uh yeah he he has been directing he directed the i looked this up last night but he actually did direct the first three episodes i think of the first season so it wasn't like he just started out of nowhere um directing the second half of the show but he did the first couple episodes and then he did uh the famous like ronnie lily episode from season two with the karate girl and then he did i think like the finale of that season and then he did a bunch in season three and he did every single episode in season four and by season four this show very much just became like he is controlling every aspect of this um so i wanted to hear your thoughts as someone you know you've watched saturday night live like as it's been on for years you've probably you've seen bill Hader probably since you very started so like what's your take on on bill Hader in the last like 15 years as he's turned into what he's become well this is not what you would have foreseen when he was on saturday night live i mean he's you know saturday night live is a comedy sketch sketch comedy show so i guess he was one of the writers too but not one of the main writers on the show so for him to evolve into this really cinematic tv director which, you know, we could probably talk about that too when you think about the series, how the way he shoots it. And he, I guess he did direct like the last, almost every episode, I think, of the last season. And Yeah, I think he did every episode, yeah. Yeah, and so to see him be that talented as a director and this talented as a writer, I, I wouldn't have seen it coming. Um, you would expect it because he's not like a, a classic Hollywood leading man looking type person. You would have expected him to be kind of a second or third character in comedy films. Um, for his career once he left Saturday Night Live. So yeah, this was not anything he would have predicted after seeing him on SNL for all those years. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the fact that he was a writer kind of gave some sort of inclination that maybe he had some bigger project that he wanted to do. But even when it's that, people who leave SNL to go do their own, their their big project, it's not normally something that's nearly this like dark um, and 
altruistic, I guess. It, you know, it's it's especially this last season. It became so surreal. Oh, I didn't like, even like, notice that. The music entirely. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I was wondering if they're going to bring it back for this last episode, but. Yeah, I love they have great theme music for the show. It's that little five second clip <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, they, they they ditched a lot of the tropes of the of the previous seasons and he's clearly going from something more artful and just a lot of themes about reality versus like what's portrayed on TV, like dramatization of art um, versus reality and uh, the human condition and like, can you change or can you be a good person? He's like, he's, he's dealing with some very heavy uh, topics that you wouldn't expect from a and i think he's concluding that you know no you you, you can't change yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and you know one of the things about the series there was there was no redemption there was no redemption arc at the end for anybody and like yeah. a traditional tv show probably would have gone down that path and he had characters that were narcissistic and self-centered and you know actually had mental health issues and none of them got better <laughs> none of them redeemed themselves which you know I, that's that's unusual for tv you know maybe in some of the more more recent tv shows where there's all these prestige tv shows are kind of going against traditional tropes but this was definitely if we're getting into some of the finale like having barry die the way he did was this great a great choice you know he doesn't he doesn't redeem himself at the end he doesn't go live yeah. happily ever after in fact even the scene where gene shoots him the oh wow <laughs> comment he makes one of the best lines of the show you see him get shot kind of over in the shoulder and you think okay gene and barry are going to have this big moment kind of like fuchs and noho hank had this great diet this really intense scene mm. going back and forth and fuchs challenging noho about did you really kill cristobal and admit it to yourself yeah. And then you see Gene and Barry. Okay, now here's their moment to have their big dramatic speech. Nope, shoots him in the yeah. head. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I think to your point, like I think what Bill Hader is trying to say is that Noho Hank is way more deserving of that moment to repent his sins or whatever and acknowledge what he did before he dies. Like he still he still deserves to die, so he dies. But he he at least like could acknowledge that. Whereas Barry is completely unredeemable he, he doesn't get that moment so for him it's just like oh wow and then he's dead and it's like a plot like cue applause it's finally this this horrible person has died yeah and when he and i think before he got shot he he was considering the redemption that sally had told him the mm -hmm. night before that you really should you know turn yourself in and of course barry's response was no i think this is god's plan he let me live for a reason and not just, and that reason is not to go to jail so <laughs> Considering it when he got there and and thinking about it, and then he gets shot and dies. And I mean, I kind of if he, if he had to predict something, I think I would have predicted that that Barry was going to die in this show. That would be part I, of the yeah. finale. So I'm, right. that wasn't surprising about how they did it um, with no redemption at all for him was was good because he didn't deserve it. To your point. <laughs> And I think that's what I didn't mind about uh, the show. I think what a lot of series finales like get wrong or the expectations that people have about series finales is looking for some sort of twist or some big reveal like that. Like, oh, they're going to kill off the main character. I think with, with Barry, you kind of, 
that is the the arc and that you kind of knew that that's where it had to go like this guy is completely unredeemable he's proven that over year over seasons of seasons you know and by the end that's like how it has to happen so um i like that the show has like structured itself to turn this world where it's believable for the main character to die at the end and that is not like is not surprising but then also completely justified and like believable in the world it's like very unique for a show that we're happy that the main character died <laughs> and that that felt like the most logical conclusion <laughs> well yeah and i can't think of a specific example but there's been shows where there is an unearned happy ending to a story that because whether it's executives for the network you know sticking their nose into the production and, and advising or this is what the fans want or whatever but you know i think hbo is, is known for giving freedom to their their creators and their and and so he, he did what he wanted and there was no no interference i think to to deliver on this happy ending that some, some i'm sure there's people who watch the show who are mm. very disappointed like they wanted to see him mm. and Sally go off with John and live a happy Did life. Did people and... want that? <laughs> Were they watching the same show? I guess if they if they made it all through all four seasons, if that was what they were expecting, they probably stopped after season two. <laughs> Maybe. Right, right, right. Yeah, if he wanted Barry to have any sort of redeemable thing, I think that that ship might have sailed. <laughs> if if it ended with like Barry and Sally and the kid actually getting away and. You know, it, the last scene is them like going to church. <laughs> I mean, that that would have been like an equally cynical view, I think, of the world. Yeah, I guess, <laughs> so yeah. It would have to play under this like dark comedic tone still of like, yeah, they get away, but like look what they're left with. Like almost not to spoil succession at all, but like <laughs> kind of where succession will kind of leave to where it's like it's not about winning or anything. It's not about their character's own form of success isn't necessarily winning. Um, and so even if Barry wanted to survive and live with his kid who they've been lying to and his wife who hates him and uh, <laughs> like if he wanted to keep living that life, that's not even necessarily like a happy ending um, either. But I, I like this ending better. I think his arc um, of like he kind of had to die, I think. <laughs> I, I think I said earlier that no one really gets redeemed. But I do have a question for you. What about Fuchs? So I do think, you know, throughout the whole series, he was. He cared a lot about Barry, then he didn't care about Barry, and he wanted to kill Barry, then he wanted to save Barry. And in the end, he does, he protects John, allows John to be safe in this shootout, and delivers John to Barry and lets Barry go. And I don't think we see him after that. No, yeah. I, as I was like filling out this outline, because I have that as a little thing, like, so where like the characters kind of end up, and all of them I could kind of think of, but then for Fuchs, I was like, wait, wait, what, like, what was his moment in this episode? What was that last scene? And it, it's so like underplayed that you kind of don't even realize it's his last scene. But yeah, it's he does choose to save his son, and then the son runs to Bill Hader. They hug, and then uh, Barry and Fuchs kind of just make eye contact instead of some another grand like showdown, like it was with Noah Hank and Fuchs. He they just kind of look at each other have this sort of acknowledgement and then Fuchs just like turns around and trots away and then he just recedes into the shadows and that's that's the but, but the relationship was so interesting and because I think as much as he used Barry he also cared about Barry and so maybe, maybe he had a little bit of redemption he did evil things bad things but he saved John and delivered John to Barry for Barry to be, you know, at least spend another night with his son before he died but um hmm. 
there was, there was I guess there was wasn't closure on Fuchs. So yeah, and it, I think it's worth talking about Fuchs. I think he's perhaps like maybe the most complicated character. I think in certain ways, like Barry is very easy to read because he's a psychopath, and you kind of understand his motivation is that he has no empathy and will do anything to protect himself. And and Sally, to an extent, is the same way. I, and a lot of these characters are almost just have clear motivations. But Fuchs is like one of his key personality traits, I think, is like flip-flopping. Like he has no morals. He has no... He's constantly trying to find someone to stand behind and to like mentor or just some side, some team to be on. And even in prison, they like in the first couple episodes, they jokingly kind of play into that where he's like trying to join sides with Barry and but I think and then inevitably like him learning to be on his own over the eight years and become this like hardened just this turn for him is is really funny and it's funny to see like this this growth but have it be off screen in a time jump and so you don't actually get to see Fuchs really grow at all um, and then we're kind of thrown into this new version of the character eight years into the future and we're not really sure where he's supposed to be mentally and how he's feeling about Barry. He seems to want to kill him. Um, and for sort of two episodes, you're kind of like, he's going to kill him. But he doesn't, I don't even know if he actually explicitly says that. He says he just wants to see Barry, maybe. Well, I think it, my assumption all along is that he wanted to kill Barry. But I, right. you're right. I don't think it was explicit, but that's what he was trying to get Barry to come to NoHo Hanks. And, you know, so he could, I thought, could right. kill him. But. I don't know. I mean, the speech he had with Noho Hank, where he mentions, you know, I, I used to say I was a soldier, but I never saw, you know, a day of battle and that he was a poser. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of that eight years in prison seems to, yes, he came out this hardened criminal, but I think he also realized some of the mistakes he had made <laughs> in his previous life with Barry. So that's why I'm a little confused on the, on the redemption for him. And I, I don't know if I fully formed my like opinion on it, but I, I think... It's it's not necessarily a good redemption. I don't know if that's at least the right way to phrase it because I don't think anyone has a good redemption in the show. I don't I don't think Bill Hader was aiming for anyone to have a kind of a happy ending. But I think he needed to pay respect to the relationship that Barry and as much as Fuchs wanted to kill him and he's wanted to kill him multiple times throughout the show and he's hated him and he's loved him and he keeps flip flopping back and forth. But I think ultimately he he can't be the one to kill Barry. He, he's not the one that's going to be able to pull the trigger. Um, and Noho Hank was dead and he was never going to do it. Sally was never going to do it. And so of the five characters, it makes sense that Kusno is the only one that's going to be able to have to turn to the dark side and, 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 and kill him instead of sort of Fuchs doing it. Yeah. Maybe redemption was too strong a word, but it did seem like, you know, he, he ended in a positive way. He didn't run off to his gang of, prison ex-cons ex because they're all laying dead inside the building so as they flash forward into the future um you know fuchs is not part of that so it's left it's left unknown well that gives me to another question because before we jump into kind of a breakdown of the finale i do want to run through kind of the plot what happened in that episode sure but i'm curious to hear just your thoughts on the time jump this season because it was after i think the fourth episode it jumps eight years um and the it, actually, I guess at the at the end of the fourth episode, they they cut to it. But at least when I watched it, watching it weekly, I thought that was just like a dream sequence. I didn't even realize fully what was happening. Um, and even the the fifth episode, I still kind of thought it was a dream sequence. But I'm curious, what did you think? Were you surprised when you saw it? Like, did you believe what you were seeing? 
<laughs> well, when it first happened, I, I was the same way. I'm thinking, okay, this is a dream. But I think probably midway through the when they when they did it for the whole episode, I, I started to think, okay, this is actually eight years in the future, and this is a real time jump, and this is how he's living his life. But you did begin to question it. I guess maybe, was it the, was it the next episode where the house was tipped over and. Yeah, that might have been the sixth one. Sixth one. I could be mixing it up. I've only seen them all once, so I, I could be mixing <laughs> it up for anyone who's listening. But I believe that was so. The fifth one was the first reveal, and that was only of Barry and Sally in their world, and they, they didn't cut to anyone else. And then the sixth episode, they start to show the other people, and then I believe that's when Barry has to leave to go to L.A. And so then Sally's left alone, and right, drugs her kid. <laughs> <laughs> and, and did she trash the place or did the place get trashed because someone actually did hit the house with a car and tip it and you know it was just it was very strange great question <laughs> but do you think if you think about all the episodes there was a few episodes where what was the feral girl what was her? <laughs> oh yeah lily i guess that was the season two episode yeah the karate girl and the one where he breaks into the home yeah but that whole episode felt like surreal too. Like, and, and there was another show episode, I think, where when I think when Barry got poisoned, mm-hmm. you know, yep. half the episodes this dream sequence on the beach. I don't really remember the details. I just remember, sure, this is not the first time you're wondering, is this a dream? Is this or is this real? Because you know, again, that the girl Lily was crazy. <laughs> that, that episode was amazing. Right. Yeah. Did that really happen? Was it really a girl climbing trees and jumping on roofs and chasing and? <laughs> right and that episode is like so monumental i think in terms of the show too because that was one of the first times i think they introduced a truly like surreal quality to it where maybe in this episode this bottle episode of the world this it's believable the the actions that are happening but even in the context of the larger show this is completely unbelievable <laughs> and stuff but it was so entertaining to watch and then they kind of leaned into that almost like that was a test or something for how, how the show might operate for the rest of the the show and they may have lost a lot of people who are like okay i'm done this is not for me um it reminds me a little bit of atlanta would do that too sometimes the Mm -hmm. series atlanta they would have these episodes that were a bit surreal and similar in tone and didn't didn't hero mirai didn't he direct a few of the first yeah yeah yeah. also atlanta as well so i don't know if that's if that he was helping set the tone with bill Hader on that type of feel yeah it definitely felt like it and ronnie the ronnie lily episode was a bill Hader directed episode too that was one of the first ones he had really done which is interesting that he's directing the more surreal elements like he it's almost like that was the direction he always wanted the show to go in and it wasn't until he like was able to direct some of it that he could implement this like stranger <laughs> uh tone to it Let's jump into the, the, the episode itself. The The episode starts with Noho, Hank, and Sally talking, which I just want to note quickly because that's, I think, the first time that they've ever talked to each other. Um, and if you count them as five, the five main characters of Barry, Kusuno, Sally, Noho, Hank, and Fuchs, um, they've all kind of interacted, I think, to each other at some point in the show, but Sally and Noho, Hank never had. So it was kind of just nice to get that moment in the finale. But what, what did you think of them talking for the first time yeah i guess i hadn't realized i hadn't talked but um but it was it was good because that i mean that whole scene with her then with the son i don't know if, if that's maybe your next scene or, or and then she has a moment with john where she really admits she's a bad parent and that he's a good kid and, and you know barry was a murderer she's a murderer uh she did an incredible job 
mm-hmm. in that scene but you know the scene with with where noho i think says in that scene that it's like not it's not within his control because she asked what's right. going to happen to us and she's like well it's not up to me or it's not within my control when it truly is totally within his control it was just an interesting <laughs> scene that that's typical noho hank who's you know, not not taking accountability and not realizing what he can and can't do to help people or not help people I think that, that that's a great point. I think the show is almost saying a larger statement on that on, on like indifference or like like a bystander kind of thing where um these these characters necessarily aren't outwardly doing bad things like actively but passively they're letting things happen and specifically with like even Sally I think is the same way where she has been in relationships that she's or and has seen horrible things and let things happen she's seen barry be horrible both to her and to other people and like literally murdering people and is choosing to overlook that and like this kind of indifference is interesting i think particularly with sally and noho hank are the two who deny their 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 dark side the most um and maybe dissociate from who they are as people i i think noho hank's particularly with killing cristobal halfway through the season and then this is now this eight-year time jump where he clearly hasn't worked through it entirely and has this guilt that's eating him up because he names the company after him and he has this statue immortalizing him. I think it's interesting to compare the two characters because they they both are like scared of the outcome. They're like, what's going to happen? Like almost like a a placeholder for the audience. Like there's the beginning of the episode for the finale. Like what's going to happen? And they're like, oh, I don't know. It's out of our control. Like we're just along for the ride. But they're not. They're not audience members. They're active participants. And with Noho Hank too. I mean, you're right. I mean, he he chose to have Cristobal killed, but because he's, and I think his his argument was, well, it had to be done to, to get him what he wants. But yeah, he's been in, in a lot of. He's been a bystander, or he's made choices that ended badly, but he didn't take accountability for. Mm-hmm. And even at the end, when he you know he left John in the back room, he didn't want to give John to Fuchs. And that big dramatic scene when Fuchs demands it and he goes, okay, he'll go get him because ultimately Noho Hank is about self-preservation. Yep. If I have to turn this kid over to this murderer, I'm going to do it, even though you could tell he really didn't want to do it. And he really didn't want to have Sally injured or hurt either. But he's like, oh, it's not, it's out of my control. It's not, you know, but, but it really is. So yeah, that was, that was, it was a good scene. And again, Noho Hank, the actor, I don't know his name. Anthony Kerrigan. That's right, because I've I've seen him on some talk shows. He's not he's not actually Chechen or whatever the how do you ever you pronounce that? <laughs> yeah. Chechen. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I I don't think I've ever seen Anthony Kerrigan in anything else, um, which is so interesting because he's so so good in the show. I mean, same with Sally. I don't think I've seen her maybe in anything else either. And I mean, their their acting reels, the two of them <laughs> are like they're gonna get whatever they want i think in terms of acting gigs <laughs> sally will have a she'll have a better time finding different parts where she gets to expand herself i think noho hank's gonna probably yeah. get typecast unfortunately unless he just goes the opposite direction and becomes like a gary oldman type and he just a uh, full chameleon and but after that first noho hank sally scene then it cuts to barry i'm kind of curious what you what you thought maybe even going into this episode because the finale of it uh, the music builds, the tensions building, and you see Barry uh, like shot from behind his back, like kind of prepping his gun and in full rage, like as if he's about to just go on this huge rampage and just kill every character on the show. 
Um, and that's not exactly what happens, but <laughs> what did you think going into this episode that Barry was going to do? And we'll start with, the, we'll start there. Yeah, I think I, I thought he was going to go on a rampage. I mean, that's, that's what he's, you know, you, there's other episodes where he's done that, where he's gone in and he's just a killing machine. And so you expect, right. okay, he's just got triggered. He's going to go, you know, to get his family, to save his family, he's going to go kill everyone in his way to, that would prevent him from doing that. Uh, right. But it doesn't go that way at all. In fact, he doesn't even get there. Bef- By the time he gets there, everyone is dead. Yeah, it's not that he wouldn't have done it. It was just he didn't have the opportunity to. Like, I did wonder, though, was he going to be so unhinged that he would fail? So I was, I was speculating, mm-hmm. well, how is this going to end? He's going to go try and save his family. Is he going to go there and try and do it? And because he is now so you know, protective of his family and he's in, in this state of rage... Will he be as effective? Because before he was a very control. He'd go in there calmly and coolly and kill people as a hitman with no emotional attachment to anything he was doing. It was very detached. And here he is extremely emotional, protective of his family in a rage going at. So I I, I was predicting that's how I figured he was going to die. And I figured he might actually die trying to save his family because he was not as careful, not as calculating like he had been when he was a hitman oh, that's a great point i mean in terms of like him how he kills and who he kills it's almost always not emotional and anytime it has been an emotional person like like janice um like that's when he he gets way worse at covering it up right and so yeah i think there is kind of an element of like he's going to go on a rampage but he's going to mess it up because this is finally he cares about someone enough but one thing I wanted to note, too, while you were talking about this, it made me think about just violence, I think, as represented in the show, um, because it, Bill Hader is purposely playing with your expectations leading into this last episode, closing on a shot of like, I don't know, just the visual motif of a, of a white man like cocking a gun uh, right before <laughs> like the last episode to a show and like right. implying that he's about to go on a huge shooting spree is a very visceral image and sets expectations to be like, wow, this finale is going to there's going to be this big moment where he's going to kill everyone. It's going to be awesome. And it's going to, you know, it's like, there's this, uh, like sick kind of view that you want to like watch this horrible violence. Um, and he's setting you up and then he takes that away. He doesn't ever actually give you that moment in this finale. There's no, there's death, but there's not uh, a rampage. There's There's no no big moment, I guess, for Barry to then be like the, the anti-hero and kill everyone and save his family. He doesn't get that moment. And like the, the, the dark, irony of it is that he just gets shot in the head very quickly and he doesn't get a big speech he just says oh wow and dies which is actually so on point for the the tone of the show through the whole series that mm-hmm. that is that makes sense because if they had done anything else different from that it wouldn't it wouldn't have been consistent with the tone of the show i think no I, yeah i agree especially compared to like the season two finale which was kind of that one time where he did really go on a rampage and he killed everyone in the monastery at the end of that episode um that i think you you didn't see that coming so it was kind of the opposite so when they do show horrible violence like that um that it didn't feel like we were expecting it and that we had like it was going to be sick and it was going to be cool to watch and exciting it's not it wasn't john wick you know it, it was showing like the brutality of of him and you're supposed to be like jaw dropped at how horrifying it is um so it's like when they do show violence it like works as a really realistic portrayal of violence and it makes you see how dark it is um and i loved how it played with the opposite of that this episode by the lack of violence it shows um yeah i, I um, agree 
but yeah, so when we first see Barry in this episode, uh, it's when he's at the uh, the store picking up just a ton of guns. He's being strapped behind his back, and it's just this one take of him walking through the store. He walks through a, a children's toy section, um, just this long one take, and then he gets in the car and hilariously doesn't take off any of the guns off his like back. He just sits in the car and tries to cram cram in wearing all of the guns. That was pretty <laughs> um, funny. Sure, it was a statement on guns and America in general that you can go to a Walmart and just buy an arsenal and walk through the store with mm-hmm. your arsenal strapped to your back and no one even blinks an eye and gives you a double take all the way to your right. car. Yeah, that's one of the best re- re- recurring bits practically of this show is that uh, he, he essentially gets to be God in, the, in, the, in this Barry world, where, which is you know exactly how it kind of plays in real life, albeit maybe a little more exaggerated in the show. But as a white guy who can just walk into a store, he can just ask for a gun. I like it. Reminds me of the episode in season three when uh, Fuchs was like trying to get all these uh, victims of of Barry's killings to come and get revenge on him. And there was that one mother son duo, um, and they're like talking about the morality of killing someone in the store of the gun like in the gun store like right before they check out and and they're like i'm no like the kid's like no i'm gonna do it like you shouldn't do it mom like i'm gonna kill him and then the the, the cashier's like will that be all <laughs> <laughs> and then they sell them the gun and so i i, I do love like the nonchalantness of of gun representation and like being able to get guns in this show is is remarkably easy and how no one bats an eye when they can just walk through a store um even the ronnie lily episode of like violence happening in the store and no one's batting an eye is it's funny (laughs) but let's go back to the monologue that you were talking about that sally has kind of her last big monologue is when she reveals the truth to her kid um i mean on top of it that's one just the best acted scenes I don't even know if it's the, one of the best acted in the show. I mean, maybe it doesn't even crack the top 10 in terms of Sally monologues because she gets so many of them. But um, I'm more curious to hear, what was your take in terms of the kid's reaction? Because I thought it was interesting how uh, it stays on her, the camera stays on her. Um, and all we see in terms of how this kid takes in that information is that he just runs for a hug. And you and you don't see her face. Um, but it's almost it, and there's lots of ways to interpret that. Um, I'm sure he's scared and traumatized and is, uh, had this whole facade of his dad break down in that moment. Maybe he doesn't believe her. He thinks his mom is hysterical or he's just going there to comfort her. But how did you kind of interpret that scene? And like, did, did the kid even believe what she said? So that is one of my other kind of unanswered questions we'll we'll get to later, but my interpretation of that was she's telling him she's a bad mother. But he's a eight-year-old kid, right? He's eight. Yeah, yeah. And he only knows one way of being a mother. I think his his running to hug to her, her says like he doesn't think she's a bad mother because it's the only mother he he knows. It's the only mother he loves. Sure. And so her crying and telling you know telling him she she's a bad mother, I think he just goes to hug her to let her know that no, you're you're my mom. You're you know. So that's how I kind of interpret it. Is that yeah and they've sheltered him so much that his own his whole reality is his just two two parents it's their constructed reality i mean that's that's the dark one of the darkest things is that barry and sally were able to you know have a kid and then be able to control how this kid grows up i think there's a lot of commentary on like parenting and like who can or should be parents and like what you 
what you raise and implement into your child, like consciously or otherwise. And they've essentially created someone that will love them unconditionally, no matter how horrible they are. And that's kind of what like a kid is to a parent and vice versa. It's just like unconditional kind of love. And it's, it's interesting that that seemed to be their only resolution or future for their life is like, let's go have a kid. Cause maybe that'll give us some sort of validation that we're a good person. Cause it, they so desperately seem to cling to that. Yeah. And, and Barry was building a false reality too, of his life and who he was and, and mm-hmm. of the world for his son. So it was Barry's opportunity to say, I don't like the way the world is. I'm going to build my own world with Sally and my son and, and I'm going to educate and, and, and raise him in a way that is in Barry's mind, I, the ideal way. So, yeah, so it was a very touching scene, incredible acting. I, mean, I, I actually watched it twice to, to see that, to see that scene again, just because I couldn't <laughs> she pulled that off. And yeah. wondering how many takes did that take? And if it took more than one, you know, I feel really bad for the actress because she had to go through that emotional trauma. Right. People yeah. listening to this, you think about, you know, we're talking about all this you know, drama and, and incredible <laughs> violence, but it's also a very funny show too. It, one of, one of the funniest shows. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's remarkable. It's funny um, to have this almost kind of be paired with succession this week. Cause it's, and, and just having them air back to back every night on HBO for the last like eight weeks um, because they both are like extremely dramatic Shakespearean, like succession particularly is very Shakespearean and like epic and it's, it's, and it's drama and uh, is almost a tragedy. And so is Barry, I think, to an extent. But it's, um, yeah, it, they're both deeply funny shows at the same time. Yes. Um, very, very funny shows. Um, which Barry reminds me a little sure. bit of the Coen brothers because mm-hmm. you know, some of those movies you know, have some extreme violence, but so there's, they have some of the funniest subtle, it's all subtle humor, mm-hmm. um, but some of the funniest movies in the same movie with some of the most violent. I'm thinking of Fargo or something like that. So yeah. I think Barry, I don't know if Barry was meant to be an homage to that or in some way or Bill. I'm sure he's influenced by that. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely some David Lynch. There's definitely some Coen brothers in terms of the tone though. It definitely seems to match like that dark comedy tone that probably the Coen brothers are most famous for and have perfected. Um, right. Yeah. It does have a very, a very Fargo vibe to it. Uh, let's let's jump to the, that next thing. We've already kind of talked about it, but the NoHo Hank Fuchs uh, kind of confrontation. Um, one quote I had from Fuchs is um, is his realization, I guess, for himself is he's like, I, I, I've come to terms with who I am, a man with no heart, um, which kind of got me. That's like actually a, a genuinely sad moment. It's so self defeating um, and like. Uh, he's always been that person. We've seen that for four seasons. He's just an empty shell kind of a, of a person. But then for him to admit that, for characters to have any sort of self-awareness, especially like in, the, in a finale of a show, um, is always really interesting. And to have some sort of kind of monologue admitting that, especially right before he then kills Noho Hank. Um, and like right before this like bloody kind of battle, the shooting happens. Um, what did you think about that scene? Yeah, I mean, I think... The... It was it was good to see his self awareness. No one else in the show has any self awareness like that, or self realization of how how they how they think and how they are. So it was amazing mm-hmm. to see that. You know, like you said, he he realized I have no heart. But then you know, again, five minutes later, he is saving Barry's son and giving the son to Barry. So it shows he has a heart. So it's it's a, <laughs> it was amazing. I mean, it was confusing to see that, but at the same time, it's like okay, 
he had this self-awareness, but maybe he, he isn't as aware of himself as he thinks. Which is like really consistent, I think, to how people actually are in real life. I, I think he, we're, we're struggling to read Fuchs right now because he feels so inconsistent as a character, but he's really realistic in terms of a real life person. Yeah, and how, how would you, so he, he was trying to get Noho to admit that he killed Cristobal. And right. I'll leave if you just do that. And, and Noho can't do that. He, he he starts to, I guess, and he clearly, right. if you're if you're watching him, how he's reacting and how he responds, you can see that he's got a lot of guilt and shame about it. I don't think he actually comes right out and says that he did it. He refuses to do it, which is what causes the gun the gunfight. I think so. To me, that's the biggest unknown for me is like what happened after. What was he thinking? What was his motivation? Right. It was it's confusing. I think it's interesting because they, they left him so purposely ambiguous and he's always just been that ambiguous character flip-flopping back and forth and his relationship with Barry has been so fraught. It's like there's really intense feelings that Fuchs clearly has for Barry and this almost kind of fatherly role. I mean, there was even like dream sequences, I guess, earlier in the season of a younger Fuchs talking to a child Barry and kind of being this father figure for him. I think the mystery behind the relationship and Fuchs's true motivations I think that they've always purposely kind of been left in the dark. But in contrast to someone like Gene Cousineau, who you always know, you know who he is through the whole thing. And when he thinks he's going to be someone different, he always reverts back to the narcissistic, attention-seeking actor that he wants to be. And that's why it's so interesting. So Fuchs is not that black and white, where Cousineau is Mm -hmm. black and white. You know exactly who he is. And even Sally, honestly, the same way with her. And she has moments... You know, but then she always kind of reverts, even at the ending in the flash forward, doing a play with her students. And it feels like she's thinking it's all about her. The applause for the students' play was because she directed it. And mm-hmm. it's still about her and her, and her narcissism and her right. need for attention. And so everyone's yeah, very consistent I, where Fuchs is just not. So enough about Fuchs. I have one more thought because I think that what you said was really interesting because A, I think Bill Hader just has a lot to say about narcissism and creating art. I think there's specifically in acting. I think this whole show has been commentary on acting, but um, just the way Bill Hader shows how consistent the characters of Kusno and Sally Reed kind of are in terms of their ego and the narcissism that they carry and how that's kind of ultimately their downfall. And Sally still can't really seem to escape that. Even kind of throwing that question, like, is that okay? Like, should you seek validation like that? And is that like a healthy means of like, responding to your own art i think that's interesting but in terms of fuchs too i think going into this and into the show fuchs is probably on paper the worst person but i mean barry is probably the worst person but in terms he's he's essentially the villain of the show and kusuno and sally are the heroes they're the normal people they're they're actors just in an acting class and an acting teacher um where fuchs is this like villain and he's mentoring a hitman um but I think what the show's almost proved is that he is way more inconsistent and ambiguous as to whether he's a bad or a good person. Um, and he is potentially like the closest to the anti-hero that you ever get in the show. Weirdly enough, Fuchs is, whereas yeah. Kusino and Sally are very kind of cut and dry in terms of their character motivation and are just narcissists. And it's like commentary on like acting and like Hollywood, I think, and like how these people are just empty and easy to read. <laughs> and like, or not everyone, but you know, the, like the, you know, that is kind of the, the stereotype. 
the stereotype, sure, on on, <laughs> on actors. Well, yeah, if you and, go back to the season one or season two, you don't you 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 feel bad for Kuzno and Sally because because they're getting manipulated by Barry and their victims. Right. But it turns out really they were vic- they were ready to be victims. They, they and the way yeah the way they the way they profited on on being a victim. Both Kusino coming out of hiding after eight years to first stop this movie, that, but then want to do the movie because Daniel Day Lewis is going to play him, which is just hilarious. Ridiculous <laughs> concept. <ever. laughs> it's great, but it's like, of course, like the acting teacher. What one actor would get this guy to make this movie made? And Daniel Day Lewis is like, of course, that go-to person. Where it's like he'd come out of retirement for me, like. Um, but it makes a lot of sense for their characters. Um, and it's so interesting that that's kind of where he leaves them, is that Kusuno ends up killing Barry and kind of just has this complete downward arc where he goes to prison for Barry's crimes, but then also, I'm assuming, I think it's at least implied that he goes to prison for murder for Barry as well, um, which is a crime he actually did commit. So it's like while he is in prison and maybe longer sentence than it probably should have been, he also is kind of that bad person still. He did still murder someone yeah, Gene makes a lot of bad choices throughout. I mean, because Barry yeah. being in his living room, that was, he just shot the one person who could have helped clear his name for Janice's murder that he was being charged with. Right. And so right. he kills the guy that's going to potentially, because he just made a bad choice. He, you know, <laughs> they should have right. called the police and on him and, and just, but he made bad choices throughout taking the money from Barry the two hundred fifty thousand right. dollars that ended up being his downfall, shooting his yeah. son. <laughs> yeah, which, which is, is yeah, it's just it's very comp, it's very well written. But like you know, even just how Barry he wanted that to be a good thing, giving him that two hundred fifty k, and yeah, it, it's just interesting. It, it the show is almost just like a series of choices by these characters, and then we're we're just kind of witnessing choices that they make, and then the consequences of these choices, and that's kind of what it's been like for four seasons. It's not even like. You're supposed to root for these characters or empathize with them, but it's more like an observational study on what happens when you present them with deep moral questions. Like what happens when this murderer who's been like stalking you and threatening your family then offers you $250,000 and says, I'll leave you alone. Do you believe him? Do you and just take the money or do you go tell the police and risk being killed? Like he's presented with this option and he decides to take the money and then spend some of it. And that's not, unlike probably what a lot of people would do in that in that situation but then it ends up being his downfall and is what makes him being suspected for murder later on (laughs) and um yeah just it's it's interesting the the way they presented choice in in the show yeah i think some of the best television series over the years have that as a, a theme sopranos has a lot of that similar around different choices making that people make to protect their family protect their power um, similar themes that makes makes for good drama yeah and good yeah, comedy yeah. <laughs> yeah um and so before we get to the final thing of the movie that they show at the end um let's talk about just barry getting shot just a little bit more because there, there is that one line right before he says i'm going to turn myself in and he has this conversation with uh Cousineau's, like manager which is probably the first time they've interacted and also a great scene for Cousineau's manager this <laughs> is i love he he might have been the best character in the show, moral wise, because he's like how we're talking about indifference. I think there's something to be said about this character seeing Barry come into this house and Kus- knowing Kusino's in the back of this house, knowing that there's about to be some brutal showdown. Someone's probably about to die, and 
instead of sitting back and watching and being a bystander, Kusuno's manager actually says something and speaks up and is like, you know what? Like, you should turn yourself in. You, you, he's going to go to prison for the crimes you did. And now, now is your chance to, and he pleads with him. And I, I love that this kind of tertiary character becomes a, an active participant in trying to stop Barry, who is like steamrolling right now and, and coming in uh, fuming. Um, right. And traditional television would have you, if you're watching that going, okay. And you see Barry's maybe he's, he's listening. He's, he's going to do it. And maybe things will be okay. And nope. All of a sudden he's shot right before you can really <laughs> make that, that decision. And, and him just throwing in the line, I'm going to turn myself in right before he gets shot. And then he says, oh, wow. And then he dies. I Just the extra, like, you know, it's very like Romeo and Juliet where it's like, oh, man, if it was just two seconds later, he could have lived or, any, you know, but it just makes it just that extra <laughs> bit of tragicness to the to the whole ending. Well, I wonder, too, though. I mean, so Kuzno's in the in the back bedroom. He pulls out he's reading articles about, you know, again, his his humiliation of being charged with these murders and his son saying, I didn't know, you know, my dad was a murderer. He's reading these articles about that, pulls out a gun. It leads you to believe he's about to commit suicide. And so had Barry not shown up when he did. Wow. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. It's definitely possible. Yeah. It's nice that they kind of leave it unclear where it's like, Gene again is like presented with kind of a choice. Like I am about to go to prison. There's what are my options here? They foreshadowed this gun too. the whole show that he's had this gun. He had it like in his office, like an earlier season. So it was like they, they did the whole Chekhov's gun with it. So it's like, okay, so something's, is he going to shoot himself with it? Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's really interesting. Um, it, well, even when the shot rang out, you know, you're, you're, you're seeing Barry and you see him get shot in the shoulder Mm-hmm. When the shot first goes, my first thought was, oh, did, did Gene just shoot himself? No, no, he didn't shoot himself. He shot Barry. Right. Okay. And maybe Gene was about to shoot himself. And then he's Barry talking in his living room and he decides, no, I'm going right. to go get my revenge on Barry, which is his undoing. In that 30 seconds of seeing the gun, Barry coming in, and the Barry getting shot, it's a very short scene, actually, and mm-hmm. very quick. Yeah. With, with, and again, there was no opportunity for Gene and Barry to talk it out or had this closure discussion mm. it's just she shoots him oh wow then he gets shot in the head and he's dead yeah it's very like point a to point b and then get out of the scene yeah and not to get like too metaphorical with it but i think you make a great point of where it's like he this choice of like what would have happened if barry didn't show up and and not even when the gunshot goes off not knowing whether it was kusino that got like shooting himself or if it's barry um but regardless it seems like either choice killing himself or killing barry is killing himself um, and it's like sealing his fate. And so no matter when you hear the gun go off, that's the decision. It's almost like it doesn't even matter almost as much as like who got shot. But in terms of Kusino's fate, it's uh, that's a good point. Know, him, him pulling the trigger is, is sealing it the fate, which is more commentary on, on violence. And anytime a gun is used, it's, it's tragic and it's bad. But, but at the same time, had he actually, if, if the story was he shot himself, it would have been hard to believe because Kuzno was so narcissistic. You know, sure. Sure. He, he wouldn't want to leave that as a legacy. He wanted his legacy that he was a great teacher, great actor, you know, and so. Well, yeah, yeah. Where he's left up is kind of left ambiguous, but I, I think that's a good segue to the movie version that they portray in this last 10 minutes, um, which is just hilarious, I think. And 
let, let's big picture. What did you think about ending this entire show on on this movie, <laughs> this adaptation of their lives? So my first reaction was I, when it was happening, I was like, I don't, I don't like this. It's funny. I mean, I, I kind of got where it was going, but then I thought about it. It's like, well, that's that's an interesting way to bring some closure to it, and you know, to to his son. And I, I actually am curious from your perspective. Do you think John believed what he saw on the? I had that same question for you, so I'm glad. Let's talk about that. <laughs> I. I don't know because you know his entire life, even the, the the few episodes leading up to this finale, where you kind of see the relationship with with Barry and his kid. This kid loves Barry and idolizes him, and you know they're growing up like religious, and he's Barry's controlling this world to every to a, like a T, and and so this kid has his whole life believed this faux reality and loved Barry and it's ingrained and burned in his head so and then there's one moment that at least that we've seen on screen but where Sally admits to her child and you know it's when they're like kidnapped and this whole misadventure in LA that you know, how how does he re- even really remember this they go out to LA and then his father dies and he's he was eight years old and that's that's really his probably memory about it that was the one thing is I, I Sally mm-hmm. did tell him his that his parents were murderers and fugitives and and then at the end of it you know the 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 look on the actor's face of john watching the 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 closing credits of the movie that he just watched where his dad comes across as a hero and even states that barry was buried in a in arlington cemetery (laughs) as a decorated veteran and the look on his face is one of pride i think Mm -hmm. when i see john's face as he's looking at the screen he's proud of his dad so it looks as though The only person who comes out of this whole thing is John has doesn't really understand who Barry really was. He has a good story of his dad and he's proud of his dad and he, and he's maybe going to be okay. But I was like, well, so that means he had to forget the trauma from LA when he was eight years old and what his mom told him and what he saw and the murders he saw. So that's a little bit of a leap for me to go. I don't know. I I really liked it. I think there's a lot to unpack there, even with what you just said. (laughs) I think I viewed it more as like this, (laughs) like Inception style ending. I think you can read it as he's proud. um, But even the feeling of pride that he might be feeling is so convoluted and mixed up with his feelings toward his dad. Do you think he knows the truth about Barry? Is that what like the- I think I think he does. I th- I'm sure he remembers the conversation that his mom told him. I'm, I'm sure. I don't think he like forgot about that. I think there's a read where you could be like he dissociated from that and blocked that out, and that's like repressed or choosing to refuse to believe it. I mean, all that's implied with the relationship with him and his mom is that she just didn't want him to watch that movie, um, and you don't really know exactly why she doesn't want him to watch that movie. In his head, it could be like. Well, my mom doesn't want me to watch that movie because it makes my dad to be a hero, and my mom hates my dad for some reason. And you know, you know, it could be something like that. You know, they just or she's just really upset by that fact that her husband died and doesn't and knows that this movie is inaccurate and doesn't want him to watch. It. You know, there's lots of reasons that the mom could even not want the kid to watch it. And yeah, it's hard to know. I mean, I think because he he valorizes dad so much to then see a movie that also valorizes him in the same way that he grew up could also just be like this nostalgic response in him this like 
this unconscious kind of smile that creeps in at the end of like the memory of his father and their childhood. Like it's so deep and it's so ingrained in this kid at this point, like this, this lies that he grew up on and was raised on that. It's hard to tell. I mean, this kid's so fucked up now. Like it's hard to know what a smile really means for this kid and having that be the last shot. <laughs> so you're thinking that it's purposely ambiguous that you could interpret it different so. ways. I mean, certainly the movie that he watched, I mean, there was, they showed a reenactment of the scene where Barry comes and saves. Well, it didn't actually happen that way, but you know, he's right. in the movie. John's in the movie with his mom and his dad and his dad comes and saves you know, him and his mom from the bad guys. Mm-hmm. He lived that in real life. <laughs> so, Right. It's like, okay, so he's, he's watching it going, I know this is pure fiction or not, or did he repress that memory? So, they don't answer that question, yeah. but what I interpreted as a look of pride was that maybe he had repressed all that and forgotten it, or, and this was a story that he was going to have of Barry, of his dad. This was the version of reality he was going to go with. But you're right. right. You don't know. You don't know what Sally's been saying the last five, six years, whatever, however long it's been since. Right. And there's so yeah. There's so much left unsaid, and we're we're just left with the moments that they do show us. So it's kind of hard to gather the full like what's going on in his head when you're not seeing so much. What do you think John's life is like after that? Is like is he ruined for life from this? You know, and it kind of goes back to how he's interpreting some of this messaging. You know, is 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 he going to be screwed up just like his dad? Does, is he, does he need therapy every day for the rest of his life to deal with this trauma that he had? And, and because even, even before yeah, the trauma yeah. of being in this big murder scene, he was brainwashed. He was like, all, he was in the Barry cult growing up, mm-hmm. you know, for the first <laughs> yeah. eight years of his life. And it's like, yeah. you know, is, is he ever going to be, be a, you know, adjust to that or not? And right. Like probably not. I think that's kind of what the show is roughly saying. I think the smile kind of implies that, um, that he's at least willing to maybe believe a false reality or, um, you know, people do that all the time. You know, if people believe their own false narratives, I think Barry did that to himself by trying to find God and find justification. Like the, the hilarious scene of him, like searching for different podcasts that, uh, were just, increasingly morally ambiguous until he finally landed on Bill Burr to be like, murder's okay. Murder's okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a great scene, but, um, but I think the ending, I think it's, it's a great ending too, because it, it ties together this theme that Bill Hader seems to be trying to talk about dramatizing reality into art into movies specifically as entertainment and, what gets lost in translation between all of that. Um, and then also how audiences respond to that entertainment. Once that is created, what is that? And I remember the the podcast, the Prestige TV podcast with Sean Fennessy. He had Bill Hader on for the first few episodes before the writer's strike started. And uh, Bill had said something about uh, this this season having kind of a theme about watching TV. Um, there was like a scene in the first episode in the prison sequence where they were like the guards were watching TV while all this like violence was happening around them in the prison and they're they're oblivious to it because they're watching TV. Um, this like kind of very provocative image of that. Um, and then kind of at the end again, showing this adaptation of the four seasons that we've just now witnessed, um, but from the sun's perspective and. Uh, the lasting damage that art can have 
onto like psyche, just like how influential art and movies specifically or TV, I guess, can can influence a, a culture or a person. Um, and I don't think he's answering that question by any means, but I think he's he's definitely posing that question. And the ambiguity of the ending of the smile feels like that, where it's like, here's a bunch of questions and a bunch of thoughts about <laughs> uh, art imitating reality. But yeah, well, hopefully, when think? the writer strikes over, maybe maybe Bill will go back on the podcast. Bill Hader will go back on and help explain and answer some of these <laughs> questions. So. There's a lot of statements he's making with this, and and actually, when he was on those podcasts, he was he wasn't shy about explaining what he meant by certain things and sean may have misinterpreted something as oh i hadn't, hadn't thought of that interpretation what i meant was x and right i think he does have very specific messages he's trying to push through on this and sure yeah that's kind of why i want to do the podcast to an extent is because like there's so there's a lack of discourse i think right now around barry and particularly because bill is not doing any interviews right now because of the writer's strike so uh it's it's been nice because he is relatively forthcoming about what he intended about the show but <laughs> it's been interesting now to actually watch this season live as opposed to other seasons and getting you know podcast content articles interviews etc about the show in real time but then it's particularly in this back half of the season when he stopped kind of doing interviews um to just react to this <laughs> in a void essentially i you know i've been watching this with my roommate gonzo but besides that <laughs> it's about all i've been able to talk to about the show it's like you know uh, there's not a ton of people even watching it and there's just less coverage about it that's yeah, too, that's too good. This, <laughs> just means there'll be less of these types of shows in the future yeah this does not to be too cynical but this does feel like an ending uh to a, a certain type of tv in a way um just with the timing of the writer strike and su succession and hbo two of probably top five all-time shows i mean we could talk about that too but two of the best shows ending at the same time on this kind of crucial pivot um in hollywood too it's just i don't know it's it's it feels like a new age <laughs> at the same time as where, where hbo max became max and now it's flooded with mm -hmm. reality tv shows from discovery the discovery mm -hmm. channel and and you yeah. re really worry about the prestige shows that hbo's produced for the last 40 years um yeah going to the back burner um just as a side note too did you notice the on HBO Max, it was like it blew up on Twitter, but it was uh they got rid of like directors and writers and uh, separating those credits, and they just put it as like they bundled them all as creators and equated executive producer to a director. <laughs> I did notice that. I think they claimed it was an oversight, and they're and they're fixing it. So we'll see. <laughs> yes. We've kind of talked about I think how all the characters where they've ended up, um, the five characters of Barry, Kusino, Sally, Noho, Hank, and Fuchs. I think we've kind of touched on that um but is there any character my question for you is there any character where you're curious what happens next like if you if you got to see a, a look into what the future of one of these characters lives is i mean two of them are dead so <laughs> it's a little tricky but i mean i guess maybe kusuno sally and fuchs the ones who are still alive um are you curious to see any more or do you feel like there's a sense of finality there well, as I said earlier with Fuchs, I'm not sure I, there was enough closure for me to know kind of what, what happens next with him. Um, other than that, I mean, I think we got we got a good glimpse with Sally, what her life is like. She's, you know, still trying to get some ad adulation by being in the arts. And uh, I can probably safely yeah. assume what what Gene Cousineau's life is like in prison. And 
Yeah. So I don't know necessarily. I don't think that would make an interesting story, but Fuchs would, you know, if they want to do a spinoff, you know. <laughs> yes. Steven <laughs> Root. Spinoff show. Yeah. I could be here for that. With that in mind, let's let's segue into not just talking about the finale, but kind of an overall thoughts on the show and kind of taking a, a, a bigger picture here. Um, stepping back, what what was your, your favorite like season? I think they, they vary greatly in tone. Season one is way more of a dark comedy. It's way more about acting class and him being a hitman and this like the, the basic premise of what if, what if a hitman becomes an actor and that, that was the premise of the show. It, it veered from that greatly, but that was season one and then season two is a much darker version of that and an extension and they go Sally's going to be putting on this play there's that whole arc the Ronnie Lilly episode is that season and of course that ends with the monastery finale of him uh, and the rampage and then season three I'm just going to keep re- recapping this but <laughs> season uh, uh, you know, much, <laughs> yeah, for the context for the listeners <laughs> um, season three um, is a much darker Barry. You know, he's got this disheveled beard, and he he's now with Sally officially. They're dating, and he's become this kind of manipulative, abusive boyfriend. And she's repeating the cycles, and there's go that whole plot. And uh, the girl from eighth grade, I'm blanking on her name right now, but she's in the third season as the acting for the show that uh, Sally is in. And so that that's kind of season three, and then you know season four starts with the prison, and then has that time jump. So the structure of the show is very the structure of each season varies greatly um, and kind of have a very distinct tone and vibe to it. Um, so I think asking a, kind of what your favorite season is, is somewhat relevant because it, uh, it's like, what, what's your favorite version of the show is maybe the better question. That's, that's a great question. I know we, we went through this when Atlanta was over and because <laughs> I felt yeah. with Atlanta as a, as a comparison, there was, Maybe for me, it felt like there was more distinction between the the, the the seasons here until you just did that recap. You know, some of that stuff blended together with me. But mm. yeah, yeah, I'd say it's, it's either season two or season three. Season one, you know, it, it was just finding its footing. It was it was it felt like a different show. It was going a different direction. Like those, oh, we got this kind of interesting idea. Hitman wants to become an actor. Isn't this a cool story? And what, what shenanigans are going to come from this? You know, <laughs> right. And then it kind of heads away from that towards the end of the season. And then season two is, is, is much darker. And then season three is even darker. Um, and it, it kept getting darker along the way. And I think you and I talked about this a while back, a few, a few weeks ago. It's like, I'm surprised at how dark the season got. And there's, mm-hmm. So it's hard to say, but oh, season four would be my favorite because it's really dark. And <laughs> <laughs> But it, it still does maintain that comedy. There are does, yes. multiple laugh out loud moments still. But yeah, the, it, the line between comedy and drama, the, the, the dissonance between it increases like exponentially throughout the show. <laughs> That's, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's like a roller coaster from, of emotions of dark, darkness to light comedy or, or, or dark comedy. So, so answer the question. <laughs> so I'd say season two because it has, it has the Ronnie okay. Lilly episode, which I thought was just incredible. It puts you in a place where okay, I've never seen something like this on TV before. This was yeah. This is a unique series. I I want to see where this is going. Yeah, I think that episode, the Ronnie Lilly one, which I think was maybe the fifth episode of season two. I think that one is the real turning point for the show, as almost inconsequential as that episode is in the the plot mechanics of the show, and it almost serves as like a bottle episode. Um, that one felt like the real like okay, the show is not only just a dark comedy, but it's trying to be this artistic piece that 
uh, implements surrealism and it, it just started to go for a different thing, I think. But yeah, I think that's a great point. I think season two um, is is really remarkable and it's it, it, it seems comparable to like the season two of Atlanta where it's like, whoa, you just made like a really, really good show three times better in the second season and made it all the themes of it and the directions that they took only just exacerbated the 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 themes in the first season the the comedy is funnier it got darker um and the directing got better the acting he's giving more moments he's starting to give those monologues now to sally and letting her have these long i think season two there's like that five minute monologue where that she gives to Barry like by a pool I don't remember exactly it's been a couple years but I remember there was like this five page sequence where she just kind of goes off and that was that might have been her like one of her best moments uh I think for me I think season three is probably though the season that solidified the show where it felt as if we're we're operating in the peak of its powers It, it felt like season one not a lot of people had watched it. It had to kind of start with a accessible premise and work into this surrealism. And so for that reason, I feel like season one can't be the best because it's it's almost a different show. It's a foundational right. season for the show. Yeah, and necessary and great season of television. Um, and it's still better than a lot of other seasons of TV. But season two, yeah, is really remarkable. I, I have really no complaints about season two, but I think season three delves into the surrealism more um you know there's there's the episode that you mentioned earlier of of barry after he gets poisoned and he's not in the episode at all and it's just a reflection of all the other characters um and there's that sequence with him on the beach um seeing all the other bodies standing looking out at the water um and kind of reflecting on who who he's killed it starts to get way more like uh philosophical and reflective and um and then the season three finale I think because you kind of have listed your favorite episode already too. I'll, I'll say mine as well. I think it might be the season three finale. The scene that stands out in my memory the most is the, where Sally murders that guy for the first time, and that that was probably like the most shocking, more shocking than like him murdering a bunch of people in a monastery because you knew that was in his nature. He's he's kind of proven that, and you know, that was the worst thing he's probably done. But it it made sense, and while this made sense for her character, it still was shocking because it it was like there's no going back from what you just did where she could arguably have been redeemable you know she had that whole scene where she yells at her assistant in the elevator and loses her career and stuff so she's at a low point but it's not at a point where she can maybe she made a choice in that decision and she made the wrong choice but it wasn't irredeemable until she killed that person and so then season four while it's fascinating and it's fascinating to see the consequences of how extreme it went in season three and then to see repercussions of that and this huge time jump and stuff. And it's way bigger scale in season four, but season three really seems to still be with the characters and care about plot. I think season four ditches plot mostly. It's not that it doesn't care about plot. It doesn't care in showing you the plot. Um, And it implies a lot of the plot. It shows a lot of it off screen. It does huge time jumps and they still have these long monologues of people talking um, you just don't see the next scene after that. Uh, and so I think because of that, season three has the best blend of plot mechanics with the surrealism, with the the long monologues and the acting. Bill Hader's finally full auteur, I feel like, in season three. Um, and yeah, it just feels like it, it feels like a combination of some of the best. 
elements of the show it's, it's between season two and season three i chose season two because it, it established what it really was is that you know what this the, the amazingness of the show could be but season three i think i think you didn't mention it but that's where cristobal and noho where noho saves cristobal who's in the mm-hmm. middle of conversion therapy with his wife i think for you know yeah um, yeah it was a deeply dark but also touching and the mm-hmm. emotions of him re- saving his you know his lover his friend his you know like from his this terrible fate that had you know just that was season three i think yeah that was the finale of season three yeah and again it's like something you had never seen on tv before and very deep mm-hmm. and emotional and at the same time comic comedy blended in there too so right so yeah season three was great and, and yeah and season four i think is it just it was necessary to help see where this was going to go and it, it's it's wrapping things up it's you know ending the the storylines um mm-hmm. but doesn't have the same emotional and newness feel that season two and three had um just sure. uniqueness of television yeah i think season four i'm curious to hear your opinion too but i think season four will stand apart as like an art piece i think people will reflect on this more as it's got all these ideas it's great for a podcast like this but you know it in terms of the show it it feels like an addendum almost to season three it feels like season three could have ended there sally's on the plane trying to run away from barry and after having killed this guy um everyone's kind of in shambles you know and noho hank did save cristobal there is this kind of relatively happy ending you don't really know what the future is of what they're going to be but there's there's maybe a chance with them um and then season four it's like what if you know it's like it feels like the, the dream season that a canceled show never gets he gets to do these crazy things with the show by right? doing huge time jumps you know they 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 marketed the season as it was going to be a whole season of like him in prison i thought it was going to be like mr robot like season two where he he's in prison that entire season um and the fact that that was only was it the second episode where he breaks out maybe maybe the third but it was like it was very early on where it was like oh so that he's always playing with expectations but he starts playing with expectations so much in season four it, it, it was almost hard to get into the rhythm of it um on top of it being a weekly show and not airing all at once while I do actually love that and I like having the discourse weekly, um, it does lose momentum in terms of only being 30 minute like parcels of content and then having huge time jumps in between it. It felt harder this season to get into it overall. While I respected it and love every moment that I watched and like think it's all phenomenal and maybe one of the most well done seasons of the show, it's not maybe my favorite. Well, I was going to ask you too. I mean, I, I maybe I just noticed it more in season four, but there was a lot more of a cinema feel to a lot of the shows that he did. Some a lot of the shots in the show, you know, when he mm-hmm. was when they were in Oklahoma and the time jump, you know, up eight oh, years. Totally. A lot of Hitchcockian North by Northwest, you know, landscaping scenes and <laughs> and like even the even in the finale, when he wakes up in the morning and Sally's gone, Sally and John are gone. You know, the camera mm-hmm. doesn't move. Barry's in bed. He wakes up. You see his face. He gets up. He's caught. He goes out of camera frame. He's calling for their name. Then he comes mm-hmm. out the, the front door and he comes back into frame in the window outside in the of the hotel room on the patio. Those mm-hmm. is great shots. 
so it seemed like he experimented more in season four with being a director and you yeah. know some of his creativity around how to shoot different scenes and there may have been even more tracking shots um <laughs> definitely it seemed I think he might even mention that in those interviews before he stopped doing them. But I think he he tries to seem in every episode to have some big set piece like that, some lo- longer shot, some like just like a wow factor almost every episode. Um, uh, one that comes to mind is like the the scene where Kusuno and the manager break into that woman's home. Um, and when they break in, the camera pans before they enter the home. And then you end up seeing the shadows of them on the wall as they're breaking into the home instead of them. And then they kind of catch up to the camera and how this camera is like being this omniscient viewer, um, just kind of floating above while they, while they do it. It adds to that theme of like, uh, you're the audience just ob- observing these characters making choices, um, and reflecting on those consequences. Yeah. I mean, the cinematography is incredible. <laughs> his, his directing is incredible. And this is literally the only thing he's ever directed is this show. Will he will he make a movie next? Will that be next for him and will he direct a movie? I'd I'd be lining up to see it cuz I think he'd be great and yeah, me too. <laughs> I hope he does. I mean, Sam Esmel, who I think is probably his closest comp, um he was also a similar like kind of had an altruistic vision about Mr. Robot and ended up directing were there four seasons of Mr. Robot. I think so, yeah. Three. Yeah, yeah so also four seasons. And I think it was the third and fourth season, or maybe two, three, and four, that he directed every single episode, um, Sam Esmail. Um And now he is actually, he has a movie coming out in November, and it has like a crazy cast. Um, but so, I, yeah, I think that, I hope that's the same trajectory for Bill Hader. I hope he goes into that and he doesn't just go do some like comedies again or something. <laughs> I don't know. I can't imagine I, he will. After after or, having yeah. this kind of control and creative creativity release, you know, versus just being an actor in somebody else's right. written movie, I don't, I can't see him wanting to do that right away. But right. and I should clarify, like if he wanted to do a comedy that he wrote and directed, or even just wrote or start, you know, if it's as long as he has the some sort of creative input and control over it, I would totally see it. Um, so it's not even as much about tone for me. It's about like as long as he has creative input also a phenomenal actor and it's too bad he's probably going to be overlooked at like the emmys because succession is going to win everything um deservedly probably but sarah goldberg the actor actress that plays uh sally i think hopefully she wins something and just gets more roles i i absolutely would watch anything that she's going to be in um it's been so interesting even the show to have bill Hader who has a lot of name recognition, I think, going into it and was probably the reason people start, first started watching the show. But then to have both Henry Winkler, who is like super established, and we hardly talked about him, I think. Um, but I mean, he's phenomenal in the show and his acting is incredible. And this is like maybe one of his best roles, at least like late stage Henry Henry Winkler. This is you never saw the Fonz. Yeah, I never, I never lived through that moment, I guess, but <laughs> um, I imagine this is probably better, <laughs> at least in terms of where my interests lie. <laughs> it actually, it's a complete total contrast to the, what he became famous doing. <laughs> so. right. Which is interesting. And I like how he's playing against type there. And then even Steven Root, which I, I don't know if I fully uh, know the context of how big Steven Root is a, as an actor, but I mean, he's been around at least as a character actor and a featured guest in a lot of movies for like 20 years, it seems like. And I saw Office Space like a month ago and not knowing that he was in it. And that movie, I mean, he's completely different in that movie. <laughs> and um, 
but to have these kind of two more established people in the in these roles and then having uh sarah goldberg and anthony kerrigan who for noho hank and sally um to have them be kind of like relatively unknowns in the show and i haven't really seen them in anything else arguably be even better than these two established actors and kind of come out as like these highlights for the the show and something that maybe the creators like bill Hader didn't even know that they were that good like how you're saying like noho hank was kind of a smaller role at the beginning um i just love that they had this opportunity to to find new actors i like tv shows lend itself more to doing that i think where you can find new actors um and shows like that but yeah I, i'm really excited for both of those what they're going to do next yeah, i didn't even say with steven root I've, you know he's i've seen his him in tons of stuff over the, his career he was even on a tv show you know in the night early 90s i think for a while and this is by far the best opportunity i think he's ever been given to act and he, and he he does a great job knocks it out of the park and so it was great to see him yeah who i've always liked he's always in so many th- i mean he, he was even in succession i think for a couple episodes this year yeah or yeah at least season three or yeah or maybe both yeah he's one of those reliable guys you can put into anything and he just does a great job but here he's given a chance to really show a lot more range and much more depth in his character and yeah that he's ever been in so happy for him <laughs> yeah happy for all the actors in the show i i'm i'm I, uh, these five actors are all all phenomenal and gonna go on to do really interesting things um uh to kind of start wrapping up this this episode um because <laughs> we're, we're getting pretty long on that note what is your favorite character and i'll let the the word favorite be purposely ambiguous there and let you interpret that how you want um but what yeah what was your favorite character Wow, favorite. I I'd say Noho Hank was my favorite. <laughs> he, he to me he was the funniest through the whole series. So from a comedy standpoint, he made me laugh the most. Mm-hmm. Um, but the acting and the drama was outstanding by the actor. So I think you know, having that character throughout was it made it made the show. I think that character was missing. The show would have lost a lot of its. Um, quality a lot of its uh, interest a lot of its uniqueness um yeah he is like definitely an incredibly crucial crucial not necessarily to the plot specifically but to the tone of the show he, he definitely seems like you can't he, he provides so much of that humor throughout the show and then also like i think the noho hank cristobal like arc is is just such a beautiful love story it's incredibly like shakespearean and tragic it, it, it does model that romeo and juliet love story a little bit of like i mean it's longer i guess than the two days but this the, you know the, the idea that one dies first and then lives with it and then also dies like kind of in the arms um in this case of a statue but you know dying in the arms of of your lover um well and the ability it, for the for them to go from scenes where you're less laughing at their comedy they're fun mm-hmm. they're both funny characters and they do funny things together and then minutes later, you're seeing you know a deeply emotional, dramatic scene from those same actors and the acting teacher and the actress. You know, those are kind of traditional characters you've seen in other things. You've never seen a Noho Hank type character. <laughs> you've never seen a, a love story between a Noho Hank and a Cristobal. So, I mean, to me, you take that whole character and that storyline out, just a, just a totally different kind of a show. Um, so, so what, what right. would be yours? <laughs> um I think I mean that's a great answer and it's really is hard to pick. I think 
I will choose Sarah Goldberg or I guess Sally as my favorite character because I I mean I love watching all of her monologues. I I hope there's like a supercut somewhere of all of her just monologues cuz or just like her acting reel is somewhere available to watch because I, all of her scenes are just so incredible. I, the scene where that where she murders the guy and then Barry is like that close up of her face and Barry's like I did this, I did this. Like you didn't do it and her like freaking out like he like Bill Hader and just the the people running the show very quickly learned to just leave the camera on her face because whatever she's going to do is going to be way more interesting than whatever was written on the page or what anyone, uh, any other actor in that room is going to be doing. She proves time and time again that the camera deserves to kind of be on her. Um, And I don't know many other shows or even just like, yeah, really any other shows at least that have on a particular actor's face for so long and not kind of doing that the coverage of showing the reaction shots of what people are listening to. Um, And I just think her arc is so fascinating and interesting. She's a more interesting narcissistic character than Kusuno kind of is. He's a little more uh, simple. And the fact that like, so like someone offering a movie deal with Daniel day Lewis starring in it is that's all it would take. Whereas I think she's, she's more nuanced in that she's writing her own show about her life, but she's making up details of it. And, you know, she's like reliving cycles of abuse. Um, the scene where she goes home to her family this season and she has like a panic attack in the in the car with her mom and her mom's like non-reaction to that, um, like tells you, gives you so much context. And yeah, I, I think she's just maybe the most well-written character. It, it just seems like Bill Hader like loves Sarah Goldberg as an actress and loves writing her for her the most it seems like he has the most while it's not like funny like she's not a funny character like no hoink at all but i think she she's maybe written the best out of any character i, I would um, agree but i mean they're all great <laughs> and and, and I, i'm bummed that the show is ending <laughs> i think it could have gone on longer but i'm i'm also glad it's not <laughs> and i'm glad he chose to do this really audacious ambitious season on this last this this last eight episodes uh, yeah i'm the same I would, i'd love to see another season of it but at the same time i've seen shows that have gone too too far past the, um, when they should have stopped and so i'm glad that he's he's not going to do that so yeah and it's definitely something you know i'm sure i'll binge watch it again sometime in the future because it's as you said at the beginning yeah. it's only it's only 32 episode 32 half hour episodes so mm-hmm. compared to a lot of other other series that's pretty pretty doable for a binge standpoint yeah you could like do that in a day really it's it's really <laughs> it's it's not much um and I, I can't end this podcast too without mentioning the cameo from fred armison in this season um he might be my second favorite character <laughs> in that prison break sequence when uh <laughs> he's like in that interrogation room and bill Hader's like i think that guy's here to kill me and then it cuts to fred armison just like violently shaking as he's so petrified about to <laughs> kill barry <laughs> Yeah, and in the, in, the, in the previous when they kind of showed those people in that area there was a guy in the back that's kind of blurry you don't even know it's fred armison and all of a sudden they <laughs> right <laughs> it's just one of the funny that might have been the funniest joke of this entire show for me i just love that and like what perfect casting too because i mean fred armison just has such a funny i think face <laughs> like not in a mean way but he, he puts on funny faces and is known for his like physical language and 
and yeah he just had like the, it was just like the best cut cut to um <laughs> so i had to mention that before but i think to your point about re-watching the show yeah i think it's extremely rewatchable. I, I almost rewatched the finale just before this podcast because uh, we're recording this on like thursday morning right now but it, it came out on sunday and i i it's been in my head all week um, and while succession has also been occupying a large part of my brain, <laughs> this this one I think is almost going to last longer in terms of artistically and philosophically that these questions are just ruminating in my head <laughs> longer. And like um, there's way more like visual shots that are sticking in my brain. And, and the shot of even of just Noah Hank holding the hand of the statue of Cristobal and that slow reveal and then that slow, very, very slow fade to black as this like, closing of a chapter on this character was like so respectful and artful and visually stunning to look at um like truly like an like a painting um as cheesy as that is but like there's so many moments in this show like that um that are just burned in my head now um like we said earlier it makes you wonder what he's going to do next what bill Hader's going to do next because he definitely has uh, a talent a great talent it's not even a departure, but it's like an evolution, I think, of Bill Hader. And I'm, I'm excited to see just even what his interests are. Like, I, he's proven that I can just trust him as a creator, as a director, as a writer, an actor, that I, I'll just go and see anything that he does and go in blind because I just know it's, it's going to be worth seeing and, and it's going to be worth talking about, um, which is it's cool. It's cool to, to see someone that you would never expect turn into that. Um, it's, it's pretty unprecedented for a comedian to do something like this. I, Bill Hader's kind of on his own level at this point. Um, but on that note, I think this has just been one of the best TV shows uh, that's really I've ever seen. I think it's in the top five for me. I mean, I think Succession is up there and Atlanta is up there and Fleabag is up there. And this kind of prestige level show, this four season run uh, by an auteur kind of director is exactly the type of show that I love. So, But uh, yeah, I love it. <laughs> I love um, it too. And it's definitely in my top 10. I've seen a lot more shows than you though. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't make the top five for you. Top 10. <laughs> uh, probably not top five, maybe top 10. Well, I'll say that's still pretty good. <laughs> so let's wrap it up there. Another episode of, so what do you think? Uh, we're going to have another episode next week, back to kind of our original Pixar programming that we're doing. Um, I'll be doing an episode with Gonzo on Toy Story 4. Um, so stay tuned for that. Um, that'll be fun. But we had a little little break with our TV this week um, and had to talk about both of these shows. But uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to two just mega podcasts this week, if you did. Um, I appreciate it. If you're still sticking around. And thank you, Dad, for coming on. And you're welcome. It's like midnight now in, in Indonesia. So <laughs> if, if, if either of us sounded tired, um, it's because it's really early here and it's really late there. So <laughs> You'll fix it in the editing. <laughs> <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> All right, thank you, and yeah, we'll have another episode next week. Peace.